Hi, welcome to At the Table podcast with uh, Bishop Sue Hoppert Johnson. It's great to have you here. As we continue with the Wesley Covenant Prayer, and we um, have kind of had conversations about it for several weeks now, and this week uh, we start a time when we're going to hear sermons. Uh, folks who've reflected on the lectionary texts and who have thought about them in light of the covenant prayer. And uh, I'm excited. I think this is going to be great. What we'll do is we'll listen to the sermon in its entirety. It'll be between 15 and 20 minutes long. And then we'll talk with the preacher and get their insights. And I hope you will focus on the sermon and focus on uh, it really is a wonderful sermon this week. Our preacher is the Reverend Blair Boyd Zant. Blair is the director of the Center for Congregational Excellence. And she is talking to us about Noah and his family and the ark and the flood and how that relates to our times today and to the covenant prayer. And so let's listen to the sermon together and then we'll come back with Blair and um, talk about what uh, highlights of the sermon and, and what we can take from it this week. So enjoy, and we'll be back in a, in a little bit. Driving through the backwoods of Eastern North Carolina, you might one day encounter the unique little town of Beargrass. Visiting it as a child, I have three distinct memories of Beargrass, North Carolina. One is of all the family we visited there, cousin after cousin, headstone after headstone. If you've even heard of this town, we might be related. The second is the giant bear statue that stands outside of the school. It's bear grass, there has to be a bear, right? As children, we were made to pose with it for pictures and it towered over us. And as I was staring up at it, all I could think about was the story my uncle used to brag about, that he was the one who wrestled the bear with his bare hands. Yeah, we didn't believe him either. Third is Beargrass's main attraction, the Deadwood Cafe. Part eatery, part entertainment venue with a putt-putt course out back. It was the place to go for fun because it was the only place to go for fun. And it was well advertised on the drive into town. We saw several billboards on the side of the road when we were still miles outside the city limits. Deadwood Cafe, stay straight into bare grass and then turn left. <laughs> My mom chuckled to herself reading the sign. What, what's so funny, I asked. Blair, she said, what would you do if someone gave you the directions that simply said, go into Atlanta and turn left? It was quiet in the car for a moment as we took in the impact of that direction. And then I saw my brother smile and I realized he and I were thinking the exact same thing. If we were driving into Beargrass from the opposite direction, would the sign instruct us to instead turn right? I appreciate a clear sign something that tells me precisely what I need to know, that makes clear the decision that needs to be made, the path that needs to be taken, or at the very least, a sign that indicates that I do not travel alone. 40 days, 40 days of rain, of loss, of floating aimlessly, at the complete mercy of wind and wave, 
This is what Noah and his family and God's menagerie of animals loaded two by two into the ark have endured as described in Genesis chapter six and seven. 40 days of darkness and grief and confusion. Months of preparation and work all driven by the voice of God and now drifting on dimming promises. Maybe you felt that way of late, isolated, scared, angry, grieving, forced to watch a world drowning in its own selfishness and pride and fear and anger and racism and lies, now unsteadied by the loss of direction, nauseous from the rocking this way and then that, what we wouldn't give for a sign, right? A sign of stability, of hope, of dry land and new life. What might that sign look like? Would we know how to read it if we saw it? In Genesis chapter eight, the sign begins with a dove sent out by Noah from the ark. The dove returns to Noah with an olive branch clenched in its beak, a sign of peace, but more practically a sign of dry land. And then the bird flies off and it does not return. A second sign, a sign of life beyond the floating survival craft. The waters recede, the ark comes to rest upon a rock and its occupants spill out into their new renewed world. But will this time be different? Will humanity remember the devastating consequences of their greed, their lust, their wrath? Will they practice the gratitude they swore they'd take with them to the other side of this storm? In this story, I am searching for a sign of hope. In our current reality, I am searching for signs of hope. And in Genesis 9, God provides that sign of hope. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, as for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds and the domestic animals and every animal of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God establishes covenant. A covenant is more than a promise. A covenant is a bond initiated by God. The word of God declared for the whole creation of God from this moment for the rest of time. Covenant is God's work, God's word. And in this specific covenant, 
God declares God's commitment to seeing creation live. Never again will God use water as a destructive enforcement of justice. Water will split instead to liberate Israel from slavery. It will spill from rocks to quench thirst in the wilderness as we see in Exodus. Amos will prophesy that justice might run down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And in Matthew and Mark and Luke, we witness the waters of baptism washing away sin and even revealing the true identity of Christ as God's beloved son, as covenant made flesh. God makes the covenant. And to help creation remember, God provides the sign. God's bow set in the clouds. Now we have come to teach this as a rainbow, the splash of color that occurs when sunlight breaks through the rain and the storm. And no doubt this visible sign is certainly a beloved sign of hope for many. Digging deeper into the meaning though, we find that bow in this passage referred to the weapon often used for hunting or for battle that God has taken an implement of war and has hung it up, an indication that it will no longer be used, that this should be the sign for us, a reminder that God has not, will not, nor will ever declare war upon us. Instead, God covenants with us to cultivate life, taking implements of war and turn them into plowshares. Seeing this bow in the clouds is meant to remind us that God is committed to peace with justice and justice with peace. God is committed. Over 250 years ago, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, borrowed a prayer from a neighboring Christian tradition, as he was wont to do, and helped the people called Methodists find a way to respond in prayer to God's covenant promise. Now referred to as the Wesley Covenant Prayer, our tradition usually prays this prayer together to begin the year as a reminder of God's covenant promise to us and our need to continually, day by day, respond in like sign. This is to help us begin the year reminding us of God's promise to us and therefore our commitment back to God. You are mine and I am thine, we pray. So God, let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Put me to doing or put me to enduring. The prayer is very much a prayer of submission of trust that God's promises are faithful. And as it builds to its strongest point, the prayer is drawn to a concluding resolve, three words that cement us in place. So be it, we pray. This moment is the moment where the prayer becomes real, the promise becomes covenant. The decision is made, the die is cast. God, 
I am yours and you are mine. I will walk in the direction that you will show me. Please guide my footsteps. A few days ago, I got a sign of hope. It was a message, a sign I'd been hoping for, a text message specifically, confirming that my mom and dad had both received their first round of the vaccine. Dad got his first, he's a little higher risk. Mom had to wait a little longer. So in the meantime, she's been helping older friends with booking their appointments online. But now it was her turn, the text confirmed to us. I know this, this isn't over. We still have a long way to go. But in that little card with her name and birth date listed, in those few characters texted to me, I dared to see a sign of hope. The sign, that visible and outward sign of the inward work that God is doing in our lives, that sign of covenant spoken between God and God's creation. Over the next 40 days, scripture will invite us time and time again to remember God's promises, to see the signs, to hear the words, and to remember. Rainbows to remind Noah, new names for Abram and Sarai, stone tablets to bring law, bronze snakes to bring healing, river water that washes away sin, skies torn open and doves descending as a sign of the Holy Spirit who alights on God's beloved son, the sign, the ultimate incarnation, the word spoken, covenant made flesh who in the coming weeks will speak the love of God so that whosoever believeth in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. I invite you to this 40-day journey called Lent, to an intentional season of seeking signs and direction, of examining your heart and life and studying Christ as a guide my prayer is that wherever you are on your journey, by committing to the ways of Christ, by committing and remembering God's covenant in Christ, you will come to know God's promises for yourself and come to speak them over your own life. Pray the covenant prayer every day for the next 40 days. That's my invitation to you by yourself, with your household, with a small group, as a church. Keep a journal and write down just a small reflection each day about what you notice, how the prayer impacts your day to day. And on Easter, pray the prayer once more and then read back through your journey. Take note of where you started and then how far God brought you along in these 40 days of your Lenten journey. My prayer is that at the end, you will find God's promises even more real, even more rooted in your life. And with every ounce of confidence, with every ounce of submission in hope, you and we all will be able to say, I am yours and you are mine, O God. So be it.
Okay, Blair, I think you have us all ready to go to the um, Deadwood Cafe in Beargrass, North Carolina. Um, <laughs> we all know places like that, but it was fun to think about it. And, you know, uh, it made me think of growing up signs to places that that also made the places sound really exotic, you know, but all signs pointed to, um, you know, Sea Rock City and uh, south of the border, which was really big if you're from Florida, because they had fireworks you could buy there and we weren't, you couldn't buy fireworks in Florida at the time. So those are, those are markers, especially for children in cars when you're going somewhere, you know, you're looking for a sign, looking for that. And, uh, oh, uh, yes. And the more entertaining the title, the better. And I think this would be a good place to, to pause because I know that my North Carolina family are listening and I am so grateful <laughs> for all their support. And they, the immediate flag they're going to throw is that the Deadwood Cafe is actually in Williamston, which is the next town next door. So we're going to go ahead and pause here and talk about the nature of preacher stories yeah. about how the, the motto is, you know, while we want to speak truth and we want to proclaim the truth of the gospel message, sometimes we don't let the strict facts of a story get in the way exactly. of anything. We tweak exactly. them a little bit for the, yeah. the story or we just, you know, the childhood rememberings are a little different when we Google it and make sure that we know what we're talking well, about. And too, yeah. I know, you know, when you tell stories about family men or men uh, memories or family outings, everybody has a different recollection. So you just, you know, that's why uh, my first four years in ministry, my mother and my sisters were often in the congregation. And I hated that time because they would always it wasn't that profound and so uh, <laughs> i was glad to move on where, where people could not critique or um correct my memories of something or just the telling right yeah. and, and you know the tall tales the legends uh, and I think scripture has done the same way i mean over time i know some things were embellished or um emphasized and so to to really think about it really takes you back that scripture was not written down for many years, at least the gospels, many years after Jesus lived. So it all came from telling. And and, and that's how we tell these stories. Storytelling. Yeah. And to move into the Noah story, that is a told story. Uh, it, it always, though, um, I still remember, I don't know if you had the same children's Bible we had, but we had one. And, you know, it's always cutesy little Noah's arcs and animals. And it's such an engaging animals. Little, yeah. But, but I, and I remember all of that as a child. And then I remember in this Bible, there's a picture of the ark and like all this vegetation and bodies are floating around it. And I was like, Oh, That's this, not isn't what I cute, this isn't a cute little children's story. There's a lot going on here. I feel like there does need to be a censorship warning on this story, right. maybe even this podcast, is that we're yeah. about to get real in uh, holding the beliefs and the pictures of our childhood against the tension of both the art of storytelling, but also right. the implications. If you are going to read this story, literally the implications of it. Right. Um, is a lot darker than we usually give credit to. Right. But even more, I think, appropriate for these times, right? I mean, I think all of us feel like, in a sense, we're in an arc watching death all around us. Sitting with that reflection of the 40 days, I think that's what really hit me. Uh, yeah. Moving from the opening illustration, if we're talking about the art of preaching, moving from the opening story to kind of set the stage, the key question that you know the preacher is inviting the listeners to ask 
uh, and then transition to scripture. That's kind of how my sermons format themselves most times. But sitting with those 40 days, those 40 days where the promise of you know, the impending reason for building the ark has been fulfilled, that the rain has come. Right. And then just the waiting, the rocking back and forth, the 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 life on the ark. I'm wondering if this, and I really thought your point was well taken that I never really reflected much on that, you know, God is very painstaking Mm -hmm. in the directions for the ark. And somebody just sent us, you can go to Tennessee now and see an ark with the same built in the same, you know, (laughs) that'd be kind of biblical measurements. You could do Graceland and then, you know, hit the ark, whatever. whatever We'll go go to Deadwood Cafe in Williamson, North Carolina, (laughs) and then we'll head over to Tennessee. Right. But, uh, but really that, you know, God painstakingly gives Noah and I, and I was thinking of Steve Carell, wasn't he the one in the almighty Evan almighty? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and God really does give him, these are the directions. These are the dimensions. This is the, and then, you know, these are the instructions for putting the animals on the ark and then silence, right? Radio silence. No. So you're floating at a drift. And then if you want to really think about just with all the death around you, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what in, maybe it's my morbid COVID and maybe it's because last night I watched Nomadland, uh, the new Frances McDormand movie where she lives in an RV Mm -hmm. and travels. And it really is a lonely movie and a movie about journey and a movie about, um, you know, it, there's a loneliness and just a, mm-hmm. an aimless, I, I really, I, I, that movie was in my head as I listened to your sermon, because it was very profoundly, uh, isol- you say isolated, scared, angry, and, you know, mm-hmm. grieving, grieving. Mm-hmm. And, and, the, and in Nomadland, Frances McDormand plays a woman who's, um, uh, she, her husband worked for a gypsum, gypsum factory in a town in Nevada, Empire, Nevada, mm-hmm. and it was closed down. And like within two years, they did away with the zip code because nobody was left. And so that's her and her husband dies. So you have this sense of tremendous loss, but place. in this RV, which is like an ark looking for, looking for new life. And so for dry uh, land. Yeah. yeah. So I recommend that movie to kind of go along with your sermon in the sense of, of just the feelings, the feelings of uh, what's the question? Well, what do we do when God goes silent? Mm-hmm. What do we do when we're adrift? We're still, we, we trust that we're still in God's vessel. We're still upheld. We feel the signs of God all around us. And yet we are adrift. We feel right. isolated. Yeah. Right. The other thing that made me think of was just Anytime you're in a natural disaster, I remember after we had Charlie, which was a devastating hurricane, had no, had no, we didn't watch it happen. I still don't know what happened, you know, cause you're locked in a room. You, mm-hmm. you have no, idea. you just hear much yeah. like an arc, you, you know, you're, you're locked in and all you hear is wind and weather around you and you don't know what's happening out there and still don't know what happened out there. Cause you have no connection. And then no cell service. And so you wonder, does anybody know the devastation? Does anybody know we're here? Does anybody know that that isolation in the midst of disaster? So, you know, in a modern sense that I think that's the Noah feeling, Mm -hmm. the ark feeling. And of course, you know, 
at least I was just with my family. I can't imagine a bunch of animals. If you want to read it literally, I mean, the sense of I, I've I've captured all the all living things with me here. The only life in the world is on this boat here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, and then you move to uh, uh, looking for a sign. Right. Brilliant turn. So what? How do we look for a sign, and what sign are we looking for? Mm-hmm. And, you know, moving from the literal signs, because wouldn't that be lovely? Wouldn't that be nice when God delivers literal signs to help us right. stay in the path? Um, but also, how do we hear the voice of God? How do we discern where God is moving and how God is directing us right. uh, to, to connect this with uh, last week's episode? We brought up the passage from Proverbs about, you know, God or from, from Psalms about God um, directing our paths and setting our paths straight. If we will follow, what are the signs to let me know that I'm still on right. the path? <laughs> would right. be really nice to know. Right. Mm-hmm. And how am I, how do I know if I'm hearing or, or, you know, am I creating a sign? Yes. Is it my voice or God's? Yeah. Um, I'm fond of the saying that I love it. When God is serious, God repeats God's self. Yeah. And so when I turn to scripture and I see how often God repeats certain phrases, turns a phrase or certain images or certain you know, repetitions of who God is, to me, that is signage all across scripture that links the fullness of scripture together. Right. So those are the kind of signs I see exactly. in scripture. Um, as I turn to my own calling, I see those kind of signs. And, you know, we, we ask those questions of those discerning calls to ministry is when you look back over the course of your life, do you see those signs affirming your ministry or collecting your gifts along the way? Mm -hmm. And uh, to me, I wonder what are the signs that we're seeing right now in the life of the church, in the life of our, our denomination, not, you know, for the salvation of institution, for right. the call to ministry, for the mission that we're about, making disciples, witnessing transformation in the name of Christ. What are the signs that let us know that those things are still happening? Right. Where does God say that God is for life and for transformation, not for destruction? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what struck me so much about yeah. this passage upon the reading is God literally setting God's implement of war in the clouds as right. a reminder that it goes up. not using oh, no. that. Also, the dove comes back. I've always loved, even as a child, I was yes. like, you know, to see that bird with a branch, with with some semblance that there is something out there and it's going to be over, right? The deliverance is coming. This is going to end. That that he found, that's, that this bird found something dry. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when he, the bird doesn't come back, you know? Uh, and, and so, you know, reflecting on a sign, whether it's the dove with the branch or the bow in the heavens, I, I have to say, I've seen a sign every time I see a vaccine go in an arm. I mean, I, I tear, you know, you talked about parents and the, but just the triumph of, of, of life over death and that, and that God gave us the gift of the agency to figure that out. I mean, I, I am, I, you know, I, I sat just uh, dumbstruck listening to the woman who's in charge of the vaccine department of Johnson and Johnson and, and just the, the single minded focus on life and how do we, how do we, you know, 
but with a great appreciation for a virus, also a, a miraculous part of creation, but deadly. So how do we how do we do that? And, and then this week, I also teared up watching uh, the rover land on Mars mm. and to see the teamwork and the and the you know against all odds, uh, life in the midst of. I mean, first of all how did it ever get there? And then how did it land? And then how, how does it survive in that environment? So all of these things. Um, so there are a lot of signs out there, you know, signs of God. To even parallel this, we get to see that moment of landing and rejoice. And it's it's as if all along, we just assumed, of course, that can happen. Of course, that's miraculous. It's wonderful. We parallel it in thinking about all the meticulous years and years and years and years of planning that leads up to this moment. I mean, really decades, centuries of human development that allowed for the meticulous planning for that. But I even think about the the time frame between launch and landing. Mm -hmm where who knows, right? Drifting. Well, and then the silence, you know, the 10 minutes of sight that, that, you know, that, that also speaks to Noah's the silence of, I just, we don't know. We don't know. But, but then too, to think in the life of the church, the miracle of anybody who's introduced to God by, by all sorts of people in different ways that there is, there is life and redemption in the midst of the of the brokenness. And so, and what if we didn't have a force working for that or calling out the God sightings or calling out the signs? I mean, I think that's the work of the church at its finest is to say, look, don't get mired in the flood. Don't get, don't get um, lost in the death. Right. Right. yeah, and sometimes we just get a glimpse. I mean, I, I and I think I think that's why we we worship together is we we remind each other and we model, and that's why I love the study of worship. We model for a brief period how all of creation should be and will be. Right. So when we pass the peace, it's not just a greeting. It's a, a fundamental that we are we are modeling living at peace with one another and we are modeling welcoming the stranger and we are modeling offering bread and wine to everybody. And we are modeling um, a vision beyond ourselves and a corporate understanding. And we model what it's like when we gather together and we watch for God. Mm-hmm. And that's a powerful thing. I mean, that is. Where else do we do that? We've had a lot of... They do that in in synagogues. Uh, They do that in, you know, uh, all sorts of... But but it is a a faithful religious act to look again to God beyond you and to look for a sign and to trust that it'll come. And And I think we gather together because I might not see it, but I might see it in your life. Amen. I might not be, my cancer might not be cured, but somebody else will. And that reminds me that God's still in the miracle business. And even if I die, there's still God in charge. That's the glimpse. So sometimes I need other people to point out the signs that are in my path. I need other people's witness. And I agree. I think that's the beauty of the community witness. And I use that word very intentionally because 
I know a lot of our churches are doing multiple series or have at the beginning of this year around the five promises of discipleship. Um, What does it mean to pledge our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness? Mm -hmm. And I I feel like, at least in my experience, you know, like designing for church and pastoring local churches, the witness is always the one, even more so than giving, that got us a little stuck, right? It's it's wrecking enough to talk about financial health and stewardship and devoting our, our financial resources to God. But then we have to turn around and ask people to give their testimony. And it's like, that's even harder sometimes to figure out not only how to teach people to do, but how to actually do. Or, or even not to, to bear witness, Yes, to teach them to look, to look for God. I mean, that's, that's our role. I've always heard the role of the pastor, the role of the priest is to point to the signs. Mm-hmm. Look at look at the signs. Um, and I, I one thing I really liked about your sermon was uh, the water imagery throughout Scripture, and water imagery that is deadly and life giving. Right? I mean, for for the um, when the parting of the of the Red Sea was deadly but life giving. Right? Once again, another childhood memory of you know, yay, the Israelites led by Moses, they walk across the Red Sea. And then what happens? The Egyptian army rides into it and destruction. So water is life. And we saw that in Houston this week, didn't we? We did. When water water comes through your ceiling and freezes, it's very destructive. Mm -hmm. But but in God's hands, water is life-giving. The waters of baptism and the water in division of the Red Sea and the, you know, the river of life in Revelation. Uh, So, you know, the covenant is lived out in being born anew, washed in the water, Mm -hmm. made clean. I mean, all of that imagery is so helpful. And that's, I think, at the heart, if we're going to turn back to the covenant prayer, that's it. All of these are mental images of what happens when we stand in covenant with God. Rebirth, renewal, uh, washed in the water, part of living water. Holding our breath and diving in. Exactly. <laughs> and, and um, you know, that, that I think is a powerful Lenten image. Uh, I, was, I was telling Alan last night, um, one person I want to be like is a man named Adrian Chatfield. Adrian Chatfield is the head of spiritual formation at Cambridge University at, at the seminary there. And I remember sitting with him and the man just exudes peace, which is a really valuable commodity. Mm -hmm. But he said, you know, don't get anxious about the church. Don't get it. The the Holy Spirit is like a huge river flowing underneath. I mean, and, and we can tap into it at any time we choose to. Now the church in fits and starts forgets to do that, but it's always there. Mm-hmm. And so, so I guess during this Lenten journey, as we feel like we're on an ark um, on dangerous waters with death all around, we remember that uh, as, as participants in the covenant with God, that we are part of the living water, part of the living river, part of, and, we, and it has borne a lot of folks before us and it will bear us through. And, um, and you know, uh, I think Paul sums it up well, and this is a, a, a verse, you know, from Corinthians. Uh, 
nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And then he lists all the hardship, the persecution, the death. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that is sustaining to me in these 40 days of Lent. And so uh, now I want you to give your instructions again. for, for <laughs> Because I thought you ended it in a good place. Yeah. Oh, happily. I think the covenant prayer has carried us this far along the way. And I'd love to journey with it this 40 days of Lent. So my invitation again to all those listening and all those meditating is to pick up the prayer and pray it daily as we move through these, these, this Lenten journey. Uh, I would even encourage written reflection, take a moment, even just a sentence or two to speak to where God has you in the path, what you're experiencing today in this part of the journey. And then at Easter, give yourself the gift of looking back and look for the signs, see where God met you along the way and how far God brought you along the way by the time you reach Resurrection Sunday. Excellent. Well, thank you, Blair. I appreciate it. Thanks for a great sermon. And uh, I hope to see all of you back next week for our next preacher on another part of the journey as we explore the covenant prayer and the amazing resources of scripture we have for the Sundays of Lent. So thank you, Blair. May this be a rich and um, wonderful Lenten journey for you. Thanks be to God. And so be it. Yes. So be it. The Table is produced by Sybil Davison and edited by Kim Drobes. Music is by Chuck Bell. Thank you, and I look forward to the next time we are together.